You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 88 of Mission Lab, entitled Ode to Rejection. Before we get into our topic today, I want to just give you a little warning. If you do not like to be sad, this episode might not be for you. Um, Because right now, I am sad, as the title kind of indicates. And here's the thing. Here's the reality, friends. Being incarnational is really, really hard. Being missional is really, really hard. And I'm, I'm uh, just, I don't know, now realizing truly the degree to which mission is really hard and taxing and draining. And um, I'm really sad, and I'm not the only one. There's a number of people within our uh, community, within our, our missional community, within our church, who are also really sad. Because uh, there are people who are really, really important to us, whom we love dearly, that have chosen not to continue journeying with us. Um, I won't go into all the details, of course, because, yeah, it's just obviously don't want to betray confidences, but... um, Yeah, so over the last few weeks, few months, there have been some people that are really important to us, people we really love, um, individuals that have been journeying with us for really like five, six years. Um, And these are people that we uh, have met uh, along the way, um, not uh, originally within our church family, but have started to uh, journey with our church family. And for various reasons, um, they have made a decision to not walk with us anymore. And, uh, you know, those reasons are varied and complicated. But the point is, is that it really, really hurts. And it's really, really sad. Um, Mission incarnation is hard and I I have to be honest it's not quite as easy or simple as I originally thought I remember I was looking back on previous episodes episode 29 slow is the new fast and we talked about exponential growth and we said if you just slowed down and invested in a few people then you can experience explosive growth later on because you are multiplying yourselves and other people. And so if you have two people today, 
Next year you have four people, the year after you have eight, and et cetera. You just kind of double the number of disciples you're making. And that was, I don't know, what, three years ago? I don't remember exactly when that episode was released. But um, I'm realizing that we are going really slow, really slow. Because um, multiplying yourself and discipling somebody else and being in life with them does not go as quickly as I thought it would. So I'm just being really honest and raw here. Um, yeah, I thought, well, all you do is you like just put it in the formula. Let's say one, you know, you have you you have five people, and within two years, let's say those five people disciple five others, and then in another two years, you go from you have you know five, and then ten, and then twenty. And then, well, actually more than that because the original five are also discipling. Um, but yeah, like I thought it was just going to be a simple, like plug it in and there you go. But the reality is, is it takes a long, long, long time. And it's hard because the rejection feels more personal. Um, I think kind of in the traditional model of evangelism, um, when somebody chooses not to continue coming to the meetings, for example, I've sat there, uh, in those meetings and you have, you know, 20 people coming the first night and then you have 10, you know, a week later. When people choose not to come anymore, the implicit assumption is that they are quote unquote rejecting truth. Um, so it's like, okay, well, that's kind of their problem and, and not really my problem. Uh, but when you invest your heart and your soul and your blood, sweat and tears into somebody, and you, you make incarnation the center of your, of your experience and you're sharing life with them, um, it's not just about getting them to accept certain teachings. When you are doing birthday parties, going on vacations, um, when you are sharing life with people, when they choose not to journey with you anymore, it feels like they're rejecting you. So it's a lot more personal. Um, it's it, Yeah, it just feels like there's something wrong with you. And you're like, oh, okay, that's that's a little more serious. And maybe there's a flaw in, in me as a person. Um, so you're just a lot more vulnerable. You're a lot more open to rejection. You are a lot more liable to take it personally. And here's here's what I've here's what I've discovered and 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 noticed is that through the last, you know, we we we're coming up on f almost 5 years here of of being very intentional as far as the missional incarnational uh, approach to life. 
um, what I've noticed is that people will just come in and out of your life. They'll come into your life. They'll spend, a, you know, they'll journey with you for a little while and then and you'll pour into them and you'll you'll give yourself to them and then they'll disappear and you won't see them again for a long time or ever and you're kind of just like okay what was what was that all about um i gave i invested i i was spent for them um and and yeah you you will uh you'll give more than you receive and that's just the reality of being on god's mission being committed to blessing others and you know it in theory and you say you know what? That's the that's the cost. That's the price. That's that's what I that's what I feel called to do because I have been transformed by this this all-consuming love of God, and so you know it, and you know in theory that that's what you should do, but then when it happens, it just really. I'm going to use a term here that I, I, I was never allowed to use growing up, but I'm going to use it. Okay, mom, you're listening. I'm sorry, but it sucks. I'm just I'm just going to just going to call it how it is. And you start asking yourself, you know, is it worth it to keep doing this, to keep pouring yourself into other people and they they don't respond with the same level of commitment or intensity what i've what i've realized is that um almost everybody wants to receive community but very few people want to give community and very few people want to commit to community but they they want to know it's there when they need it and so you know they they want they want to have the assurance that when they need support encouragement love that they can go somewhere and they're always going to get it and it's not a mystery i mean the world is in such a place where people have been hurt they've been broken they've been used they've been abused they've been traumatized they've been betrayed They've been rejected. So this, um, this whole-souled, wholehearted commitment is so incredibly rare. And so the temptation for the disciple of Jesus is to say, you know what, I don't think I can do it either because I keep doing it and yet I keep getting abandoned or rejected and i and i put in my my time my energy my love my devotion and people just end up taking it for granted they 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 receive it 
and then very rarely do they reciprocate it. And so you have to get used to if you are going to be incarnational. And because that's that's the whole thing here is that, you know, I, I firmly believe that God is calling us to do that in this in this moment, in this in this part of the story. I think he's always wanted us to do this, but but especially now is that we're not simply calling people into embracing a list of abstract intellectual ideas. Those things are important, don't get me wrong, but we are inviting people into life. And as a result, we will expose ourselves and make ourselves vulnerable to repeated hurt and rejection. And, and, and unless you're unless unless you are willing to go there, unless we're willing to go there, we are not going to disciple people into the fullness of what God is calling us to disciple them into. Because it's really easy and tempting to just invite people to a program, to invite them into committing to a list of ideas. Um, but we are called to go beyond that and to commit to people's lives and invite them to commit to ours. You know, and in the traditional kind of form of evangelism, you do not open yourself up to as much risk or vulnerability. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that there's a lot of rejection that takes place like if you go door to door, like you have probably more doors slammed on you than, than, you know, people who are willing to, to, to invite you in. But that's a, and I've done that sort of stuff plenty of times, but that is a, a completely different kind of rejection. Um, cause these people don't know you. You're just, they're just grumpy cause somebody, anybody has shown up on their doorstep. But when you give yourself and you open up yourself for somebody else, you're, 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 you're quote unquote doing life with them and you are giving them your, your whole person, that is a whole other level of rejection that you experience. And this is not a mystery. That's why it hurts the most when the people who are closest to us hurt us or reject us. And it's the same with, with incarnational mission. Um, when we open ourselves to others, we, we open ourselves up to greater hurt when they, when they say no. So, you know, it reminds me of um, a few years ago, I started reading uh, First Thessalonians and it wasn't it wasn't until after i became more aware of of the missional impulse of what it means to be god's people that i really started to appreciate the context in which paul wrote his letters you know to that kind of point i was sharing a minute ago it's it's really easy to assume that paul was writing kind of a 
like his letters were were attempts at systematic theology that he like okay i'm just going to sit down and spell out what i believe like that's what i'm going to do but when you when you slow down and you read paul's letters you realize that paul is writing usually almost exclusively to different uh, Jesus communities that he started. And so he is writing to a group of people, Jesus followers, who, um, who he knew and he had spent time with and he had discipled and often for a couple of years. And he's aware of certain very practical issues that are taking place within those communities. And so he's not sitting down and saying, okay, let me explain truth to you. He's sitting down and saying, hey, guys, I'm aware of kind of the relational issues that have kind of surfaced within your communities. And, and here's how the gospel relates, the good news relates to what you're experiencing and facing. And so, yeah, he's writing to people that he's invested his, his heart his life, his soul, his, his, his entire being into. And so like when he writes to the Thessalonians, he writes these words and I came across them a few years ago and they just spoke to me because I could identify with the deep emotion and the affection that Paul wrote with. And so in first Thessalonians two verse eight, he says this, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Um, He says to the Thessalonians, because we, that is the we that he's speaking uh, about or on behalf of, is himself and Silas and Timothy, two of his fellow disciple makers. And uh, he said, because we, that is himself, Silas, Timothy, because we loved you. And the term that is used there is kind of like we had this deep, affection for you you know we had this 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 huge um love and affection and interest in you he said because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of god but now check this out but also our lives as well. So Paul, yeah, man, he's like, you know what? When we came to you, when we, when we, when we lived among you and we traveled among you, we dwelt with you, we spent time with you. We weren't interested in, in simply sharing information with you. We weren't looking to just get you to agree to a list of teachings. He said, we gave you our lives. The uh, contemporary English version says, we cared so much for you and you became so dear to us. And that word is agapetas. My Greek is a little rusty here, but agapetas, which, which is from the word agape. Like we had this, we had this, this dear longing, you know, affection for you. We were willing to give our lives for you when we gave you God's message. So this was like a whole, a whole hearted gift that Paul gave to the 
Thessalonians. Now, now check this out. That word for life, we gave you our lives. That word for, for, for life, I was curious to know what exactly it is because there's a, a few different uh, Greek words that are that, that, that are translated life. One of them is bios, which means, you know, from the, where we get the word biology. Um, the other word, and it's the one that's used here, and I was really intrigued to read it, is actually the word suche from whence we get the word psyche. So Paul is is like, and, and, it, and you know, we, we shouldn't interpret it exclusively through our lens of, of psychology today. Like it's a simple like psycho experience, psych, psychological experience. It, it was a totality of his being. And yet that includes his psycho-emotional energy. So Paul, what, what Paul is saying here is like, we gave you our all. We gave you everything. We gave you ourselves physically. And that's kind of like the totality of what a suche is. Elsewhere, um, that word is translated soul. So Paul is saying like, we gave you our souls. But it, it's, a, it's the totality of what a person is. Psych, you know, so, so physically, financially, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, spiritually. Paul is saying we poured everything into you. We gave you our all. And that's the question that keeps like coming back to me is do I have do I have the emotional stamina? Do I have the emotional fortitude? Am I emotionally healthy enough where I can keep pouring my life into other people? Where I can keep like spending my emotional resources? Can I invest in people emotionally to the point where I, I'm, I'm willing to just kind of let go? Or do I, do I expect you know, a return on my emotional investment? And, um, you know, to what degree can I keep spending myself? And for Paul, he's saying to the Thessalonians, like, I just kept spending and spending. It's, it's um, you know, in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, um, he also kind of, kind of makes this point to the believers in Corinth where um, he... He, he basically says to the Corinthians that um, he not he didn't simply want the Corinthians to like give their resources to him. He's like, I'm not just seeking what you have. He said, I'm seeking you. I'm seeking you as a person. I don't I don't I don't just want what you can do for me. I want you as a person. Then he says. I will very gladly, this is 2 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 15. He says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Whoa. Talk about, oh man, talk about speaking to this moment for me. Paul is like, listen, guys, I love you so much. 
I would, I'm not seeking like some material gain from investing in you. I want you. I want you. I long to be with you. I want to experience life with you. He says, I would gladly spend and be spent for you. In other words, I'm willing to, I'm willing to put it all out there. I am willing to, to give entirely of myself because I just want to be with you. He said, I am willing to spend and be spent for you, for your souls. I want all of you. But, but the, the great tragedy in the story, the great tragedy in Paul's experience is like he's, he's saying, I would do that for you. But what I've noticed is that the more I put into you, the more I invest in you, the more I, 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 I share my love with you like the less I'm loved. So, so he's like struggling with this, this tension. He's like, oh man, should I keep doing this? Because it feels like the harder I try, the worse it gets. But for Paul, he can't do it otherwise. He can't do otherwise. He, he, he just has to because he is compelled by the gospel. He's compelled by the good news. He has to keep going because, and the thing is, this is not simply, I will uh, touch on this, I think, in another episode in a, f- in a few weeks, but this is not simply Paul pouring into people because someday he wants to be able to see them in heaven. This is Paul pouring into people because right now he wants to enjoy fellowship with them. He wants to enjoy community with them. He wants to be family with them. Uh, First John, again, we'll go there in a few weeks, but like, you know, Paul wants to journey with them. With that being said, um, later on, going back to First Thessalonians, um, Paul later on, a few verses later, after he says, we not only give you our the gospel, we gave you our lives, a few verses later, he does say this. He says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? He says, You know, what is it that's going to bring us all this joy when Jesus comes back and, uh, this, you know, the second coming happens? You know, what, what is it going to be that's going to give us joy? What is it that's going to be, what, what is our crown? What is, the, what is the thing that we long for? And he says, isn't it you? Indeed, he says, you are our glory and joy. So like even the eternal riches of, of heaven, Paul is like the thing that gives me hope, the, th- the thought that brings me joy, the great prize, the crown that I'm, I'm like looking forward to. It's actually you. I want to be with you. He's saying this to the Thessalonians. I want to be with you. I want to spend eternity with you. You know, it's not the material possessions. It's not the houses and the and the cars or whatever. It is you. That is the substance of what it means to be, the, to experience eternity is to be in fellowship and to experience love with other 
Jesus followers and, and those who may not be conscious of it right now. But that's what Paul longs for. He's like, I'm, I'm laboring. I'm laboring for two reasons. I want to experience joy with you and fellowship with you right now. But if it's not going to happen right now, because he, he just wrote a few minutes before, a few verses before in Thessalonians, he's like, yeah, we tried to come to you. We, we want to get to you. We tried to find a way to, we try to figure out a way to get back to you, to hang out with you. It didn't work. But here, guess what? Like, if it doesn't happen now, it's going to happen in eternity. And that's what it is all about. You know, Jesus experienced his own, um, his own rejection. Um, I was thinking the other day that um, the way that I'm so tempted to spiritualize kind of this, these feelings of rejection is to bypass the pain by saying, well, now I know how Jesus feels when he was rejected. And I think that's an important place to be and to go and to experience. But I think it's important before getting there to say, not now I know how Jesus feels, but I am comforted in knowing that Jesus knows how I feel. Like, he was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. And, yeah, that really gives, like, softens my heart. It really um, causes me to rejoice. But, um, like, yeah, it causes me to feel like I can relate to Jesus, but what really gives me comfort is to know that he can relate to me. And um, I think of his experience in, in Mark chapter 10. Uh, I'm sure many of us know the story. There's this so-called rich young ruler that comes and he wants to know. He says, okay, what do I need to do to be saved? What must I, I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, Jesus, you know, there's the, the gospel writers kind of describe the story in different ways. And um, basically, Jesus kind of is like, oh, what do you think? You know, you read the scriptures. What's your what's your interpretation of it? And so the rich young ruler, um, he answers, you know, do this, do that, this, that and the other. And um, he said, all these things I've, I've done from my, my youth, I, I've kept the commandments of God. I've done what I've supposed to, I'm supposed to do. And the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, I don't think John shares the story. They, they describe it differently in the different gospels. But Mark in particular, he adds these two words that are so incredibly pregnant with meaning. And Mark records it this way. It's in Mark 10, 21. It says, then Jesus looking at him, and here's the two words, check them out. And Jesus looking at him, loved him. Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. So Jesus looks at him and he has this love. And the word there in the Greek is agape. He has this love. He has this longing. He has this affection for the dude. And he wants to be in fellowship with him. And he wants him to follow him. And, and yet he doesn't lower the bar either. Of course, what happens in the next verse is the young man having great possessions, turned away sorrowful. And can you just imagine, imagine Jesus' heart here. He loves this guy. He has such deep affection for him. As I said, he wants to be in relationship with him. He wants him to follow him. He wants to journey with him. And yet the, 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 the guy turns away. And I'm sure it just Lord Jesus. I'm sure in his deep affection, he he wanted to lower the bar and he wanted to say, okay, hold, hold on, hold on. I love you so much that that I, I'm, I'm willing to kind of like meet you halfway. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that, which which is it's a whole conversation in and of itself. But Jesus knew that the the, the journey would require a lot. It would, it would require the, the young man's everything. And so Jesus, he's torn between these two, these two competing desires. He wants to be with the young man. He wants to fellowship with him. Yet he also knows that it's going to cost him everything. And precisely because Jesus loves him, he doesn't lower the bar because he wants the young man to know what, what he's getting into. And so he can't compromise on the way of the cross. He says that and take up your cross. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require you to take up your cross. And so Jesus knows so intimately this rejection. He knows so intimately this grief. He knows the pain and the cost. And he can relate. And you know what? That gives me comfort. Yes, I transitioned to now feeling sorry for Jesus. But there is a common suffering that Jesus, that Jesus and, and, and we experience. You know, Paul in Philippians, he said, to you it's not only been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also, also to suffer for his sake. You know, it kind of, as I said before, I'm going to use that term again, it kind of sucks, to be honest. It's, it's hard. And um, just last night, Camille and myself, we were lamenting. We were commiserating and we were saying, you know, is it even worth it? Like, what's the point? Um, it feels like we're just kind of running in quicksand and um, not really enjoying any of the fruits of our labor. And um, like, do we have anything more to, to keep giving? And... Um, 
we were sad. And I said to her, um, two things. Number one, what other choice do we have? Like, what's the other option? There's no other option. This is it. We feel so incredibly called to this life of spending and being spent. And um, we know that in many ways, like it's, it's, a, it's like this paradox. It's, it's never been, it's never, there's nothing that's more fulfilling and yet there's nothing that brings as much pain and, and hurt and rejection. So, I mean, that's kind of how it is. Like our happiness is directly proportional to our grief and our pain and you can't kind of have one without the other in many ways because as painful as the losses are the victories are that much more joyful and um now granted like we're four five six years into this and we're kind of still waiting for those major victories but um maybe we'll not experience that until eternity and um you know paul said some plant some water and some reap and maybe we're just called to be the planters and those who water and um you know that's okay you know we could like i could just kind of go and and uh, pastor some big church and I could be like the, the teaching pastor. Um, you know, I, I have had opportunity to do that. Um, you know, go pastor a big church and just kind of take it easy and put it on cruise control and we can just be the recipients of community, you know, because there's plenty of people, plenty of... of uh, you know, some of these churches, plenty of people to kind of give you community. Or, you know, I could just go off and read my books again. Um, like, try to get into academia again. So, you know, those are ways you can protect yourself from further major vulnerability and, and, and risk and hurt. But, you know, just that's, that's not what we want to do. That's not what we feel called to do. Um, so that like, I just can't imagine us doing that. So that's like not really even an option at this point because like I said, what we're doing is in many ways so incredibly fulfilling, notwithstanding the pain and rejection and hurt we do experience. The other thing I said to her is I was fully convinced that tomorrow, which is today, uh, God would kind of just let us know that that we're doing all right. And like, just kind of give us a little nod and say, hey, don't give up. You're, um, you're making a difference. And um, it's happened every time this has happened before. Like we want to throw in the towel and then um, like the next day something will happen. And sure enough, it, you know, it always is a little different, but sure enough, I get a text message from my mother. Thank you, Mom. Um, I said a bad word earlier, but I'm thanking you now. 
So I get a text message from my mom and it was just a simple quote. Uh, there was no commentary. She didn't share. She just sent me a picture of a, of a paragraph from a book called The Great Controversy. And um, it was just what I needed. She had no idea that we were grieving. She had no idea that we were experiencing some recent rejection. But she just felt impressed to send it. No doubt because she had just read this herself. So it's from the book, The Great Controversy, page 647. And I will say that, you know, as Camille and I were talking, it's like, we want not only like a little wink from God, we would just love it if he like gave us a big affirmation. And he was like, not only am I kind of giving you a little nudge, but I'm saying, yeah, here is the fruit of all your efforts. And, uh, but you know, I don't know. I don't know that that's ever going to happen. And the little, the little winks to me are enough to keep me going. And, um, the reality is, and I'm not trying to exaggerate like our contributions or our significance, but the reality is, is that most people who end up making a difference in the world don't really get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Um, like it only happens after their journey comes to an end. So that kind of, kind of sounds morbid, but yeah. Anyway, so here's the little wink with unutterable love. Jesus welcomes his faithful ones to the joy of their Lord. This is now imagining the future. That day that Paul is talking about the coming of our Lord. The Savior's joy is in seeing in the kingdom of glory the souls that have been saved by his agony and humiliation. And the redeemed will be sharers in his joy as they behold, check this out, as they behold among the blessed those who have been won to Christ through their prayers, their labors, and their loving sacrifice. As they gather about the great white throne, gladness unspeakable will fill their hearts when they behold those whom they have won for Christ and see that one has gained others and these still others all brought into the haven of rest there to lay their crowns at Jesus' feet and praise him through the endless cycles of eternity. So that just reminded me that through the rejection, through the pain, God is yet working still. And the final chapter has not been written. And um, we press on. We keep on keeping on, knowing that God has simply called us to spend and to be spent and to not only give people our, our, the gospel, 
but to give people our psyches, our souls, our alls, our lives. And then we surrender outcomes to him. And by God's grace, we will stand around that great white throne someday. And uh, we'll have a big party. We will get to experience all the fellowship, all the community that we couldn't quite experience now. We'll get eternity to enjoy it by his grace. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris O'Day. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.